Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. We are again back in studio. And it's Jeremy and I continuing our mini series on social anxiety disorder. Jeremy, how you doing, brother? Doing wonderful. Thank you. Good. I would encourage you guys, if you have not listened to the previous two podcasts in this mini series, I would encourage you to go do that. Uh, as this part, we are going to conclude uh, from a biblical perspective uh, the thoughts that we had introduced last episode. Uh, so I would encourage you to go listen to those. And then in this episode, we're really going to focus on, Jeremy? I think it's important, uh, just to wrap this up, to look at the idea of sin versus suffering, which really points us to a large degree to physiology. Yep. And maybe also just wrap up with just thoughts and beliefs, just very quickly, very generally. I think that would be helpful. No, that's good, because I think that's, in terms of biblical theology and just the redemptive history and redemptive story of uh, all of our lives as we find ourselves in the, as theologians call it, the already and not yet mm-hmm. of uh, just being where we are and struggling with the things that we do and knowing Christ and yet being very familiar with our sin and our weaknesses, uh, those things that make us very human, uh, very broken, and yet very redeemed. So with that, just looking at that with a couple of different parts of, uh, we talked last episode a little bit of just the reality of sin and fear, fear of man. We introduced a couple uh, a couple uh, resources uh, to help with that, as well as uh, some really good homework uh, for the putting off and putting on and being able to encourage someone who's struggling with social anxiety disorder to be able to capture their thoughts at the cognitive level. What are they thinking? The affectionate level, what are they feeling? What are they believing? Uh, and then at the uh, volitional level, uh, what are they doing? What are they committed to? How committed are they to uh, their fears and isolating and all of those things? And then in this episode, we're really going to focus on just the reality of suffering mm-hmm. and just the juxtaposition between those those two things within the same reality, which oftentimes is probably one of the most debilitating realities of anxiety. So. Yes. Yeah. When we are dealing with people with any form of anxiety, those folks are experiencing a lot of torment. They experience a lot of mental torment, but they also experience a lot of physical torment because the responses that are occurring in their bodies is pretty much involuntary. Yeah. Um, If they're going into social settings, for example, they walk into Walmart and their body begins to experience palpitations, sweaty palms, sometimes dizziness, difficulty breathing, a stomach churning, sweating. Those are things that are happening without them just deciding, let's start doing those things. Yeah. To that point really quickly, Jeremy, how many clients have you had where they came in and they were talking about, man, I thought I was having a heart attack and it's just these manifestations. Very common, especially with panic disorder and panic attacks. It's not unusual if a person has that, that they've been to the ER two or three or four times thinking yeah. that they are having a heart attack because heart palpitation is one of the, it's just one of the things that happen. It's a reality when a person is feeling anxious. And so as biblical counselors, we don't want to ignore that yeah. in in this resource that we mentioned before, which is just a wonderful work, a labor of love for the church. It's a lot of work. The Christian's Guide to 
psychological terms, they mention in their psychological descriptions the physiological things that happen. They mention palpitation, shaking, sweating, abdominal pain, muscle tension, flushed face, confusion. So they yeah. mention those things, which are all physiological. But when I look at the biblical approach, I, I'm not seeing much. I don't see anything on what do we do about that? How do we yeah. counsel the person as it regards this physical fallen body that's going out of control on all on its own? So with that is the assumption, if you just focus on the spiritual, then it'll just naturally work itself out physiologically? That could be an assumption. I'm not sure. But I, from my perspective, I think it's very important to include the physiological in as part of our care. Yeah. Uh, because there's such a, a physiological piece to anxiety. There's a lot going on in my body that is influencing that struggle. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God cares about our body. And Scripture, you know, Paul talks about there will be a day. We're not going to be floating disembodied spirits <laughs> yeah. in the new heaven and the new earth. We yeah. will have new yeah. bodies. Yeah. So the Lord is... Unanxious uh, bodies. Uh, Yes. Full of joy and glory and goodness and righteousness. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the body, it, until that time comes, the body is a very important part of us developing a fruit of the Spirit, such as self-control. Yeah. A fruit of the Spirit, such as peace. Yep. And I've probably referenced this in the last podcast that we did on anxiety in general. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a wonderful place to take people to help them just gain a sense of purpose in how they can use the body as part of the process of change. And Paul says to this, uh, Paul says this in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. There it is. Yeah. And so isn't it wonderful? This is where we are going to profoundly distance ourselves, or maybe go far deeper, maybe I'll say it that way, than the cognitive sciences. Yeah. Uh, the cognitive sciences are going to focus on the body. As a matter of fact, uh, if you read the literature in cognitive psychology, you're going to come across the word habituation over and over and over. And habituation was the phrase that Jay Adams used mm -hmm way back in 1970, in his neuthetic model towards change. Yep. And it was very much focused on habit and habit with your body. What are you doing? That um, is an explicitly biblical category. Yeah, explicitly. And the beautiful thing that we bring or that scripture brings into the process of transformation is that what I do with my body, what I do, the habits that I begin to exercise in my body with my body can actually be an act of worship to God. It's a spiritual act of worship. He is connecting body and spiritual worship all there at the same time. And that gives us an existential purpose in yeah. all of this too, that anytime yeah. I'm going out and my body starts doing what it does, as I go out and apply what I'm learning in counseling with my body, I'm actually worshiping God. So if it's difficult, if it's challenging, if I feel like I'm stubbing my toe and stumbling and I'm not making much progress and I go back to the house feeling defeated, one of the things that I can bring back with me is you know what I, it, it, the outcome quote was not what I wanted, yep. um, but I worship God. 
that was my intention. That was my teleological aim is that no matter how this goes, when I try to just drive into the parking lot of a superstore and experience whatever I experience, if I'm not able to control my symptoms, that's not the point. The point is when I did that, in the midst of all the chaos of my social anxiety, uh, there was worship going on and God was glorified. And at the end of the day, that's the target. That's the bullseye mm-hmm. that we're aiming towards. No, that's good. That actually, because here we are quoting Romans 12, two chapters before that, not quite verse-wise, but, or excuse me, First Corinthians, not Romans. First Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat, yeah. whether you drink, whatever you do, all to the glory of God. And so Paul's reemphasizing that point. And then I would even suggest, obviously, the, the Reformers and the Westminster Confession of Faith, the first reality, the first question is, what's the aim of man? What's the point of to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Yes. That's it. Like, that literally sums up our purpose. As you mentioned, teleologically, the telos, what's the goal? What's our aim? Like, that is our aim. And when you share that with people, going back to our first episode of... God being our refuge and our strong tower and his presence, understanding and recognizing his power and control, all of a sudden alleviates us needing or feeling like we need to have control. Yes. um, And just begins to loosen that. Yes. That's actually really powerful in the process of helping somebody struggling with anxiety to get them, theologically speaking, to to see that reality and to see them obviously giving them growth assignments and helping them with that thought process of saying, man, what it means to humble myself under God's mighty hand, but he cares for me. Yes. First Peter five, seven is like, he cares for me. That's right. And I can cast that on him and maybe casting it on him. And we're going to talk about this. So I don't want to take too much of that, but just casting it on him as a sufferer and a sinner and a saint, all of those three, thank you, Michael Hamlet, but just those three things coming in to recognizing that man, the Lord cares for me and caring for me can meet me in the moment of my biggest weakness where I'm struggling with that anxiety, where my, my palms are sweaty. The aisle is narrowing in Costco as I go into it, but like I can stand on the side of the aisle and, and just embrace this moment and recognize God's presence in this moment. Yes. I can just go ahead. And the, and actually engaging my body to, move into context that I'm afraid to move into. So there's experience going on there. Yep. Think about Abraham and Isaac and what God called Abraham to do. I couldn't imagine a more anxious moment. I couldn't imagine a more anxious moment, but God didn't say, Abraham, I would like to tell you to go up and sacrifice your son on the mountain, but I'm not going to do that because I just, because you already know I'm a faithful God. (laughs) It's like, Action, experience. What did he do? He put him into a very challenging experience, and it's through the experience of trusting God as my rock, as one who does care for me, going through that experience of God's faithfulness in delivering the the, the ram in the bush. That had to build Abraham's faith, that Mm. experience of moving into that and experiencing God's faithfulness, experiencing, experiencing God as my rock had to be a profound element in building his faith. And so Paul is pointing to the, the, the faithfulness of Abraham that counted him righteous. That's a very important part of our faith yeah. uh, in terms of justification. And so creating these experiences where folks are going out with the mindset of worshiping God 
And then yeah. as they experience the goodness of the Lord in those moments, not not that they didn't have anxiety, but that life didn't end. And what did they trust in that moment? They didn't trust the anxiety or the fear in that anxiety. They trusted the Lord. They trusted the Lord in the face of anxiety. And that's where Paul continues to move forward in Romans. And and this is where the work is happening. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by the te- that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But it's in offering my body that I'm given opportunity not to conform to the world. And we we might say just my world of assuming social places are dangerous or too humiliating to move into. I'm not going to conform to that anymore. I'm going to use my body move into these uncomfortable places, experience the faithfulness of God, and then through that experience be transformed by the renewing of my mind because now I'm experiencing what I'm reading in the sacred scriptures. It sounds like a reconditioning. and But, yes. but to that point, and I think there's been thematically speaking kind of the point of what we're driving to in these episodes is is its body. And yes. Material and immaterial. Yes. Both have to fully experience something, mm. at least in the existential sense, for us to, to fully embrace or know something where our senses are engaged in this very thing. Yes. Um, to your point about Abraham, if God just told him and gave him this theatrical version of what was going to happen, but I don't need you to do that because I know, but no, he had him go through those things. Yes. And, and like in Romans 12 here, it starts your mind and body. Both are engaged. They have to be engaged. Yes. Otherwise, it's not fully experienced. And, and it was through experience, like Deuteronomy 8. It's through experience that God ex- is, was exposing the heart to see, do they really believe that man lives by bread alone or on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? It's through the experience. And so as biblical counselors, we don't want to just sit on a couch and talk theology with people. We want to move them into their fears with biblical truth and help them begin to experience what the Bible tells us is true about the living God. And that, and I think what's beautiful about that reality is it, it helps the counselee or a client, whatever context you're in, it helps the, it helps that person see the beauty and faithfulness and goodness of God mm-hmm. in the midst of their anxiety. Yes. And now, just the now, process of trusting him. I want to say to some that might struggle with this idea, I'm not saying our faith is based on our experience. Our faith is based on God's Word and what He tells us about His Word, but we grow more intimately with the Lord, obviously through His Word. But when we experience the beauty and truth of His Word through our lives, Mm -hmm. it just deepens things, and, and the body is a part of that, as is the spirit and the mind. So... It's unfortunate that because there's such a level of credulity when it comes to experiencing something as Christians, because there's a lot of movements in the Christian world, so to speak, where it's driven by experience. They got to feel sure. things, but but we can't negate that either. Just because it's hyper emphasized, yeah, it's hyper emphasized on that other side. But it you can't dismiss it just because it's used improperly over here or it's abused over here. Correct. You can't just throw it out. It's the same you just mentioned. The first question in the Westminster Confession, we are to glorify, but what else? Enjoy, Enjoy God. Him. Yeah. So there's an enjoyment of God. There can be, if we situate it this way in our counseling, There, we can make 
moving beyond social anxiety disorder, not about symptom alleviation, but enjoying God and his faithfulness and goodness as I navigate things that feel really uncomfortable to me. It's no different, in my opinion, and that's worship. Mm -hmm. And it's no different than 1 Corinthians 10, 31. If I'm eating a steak and it tastes wonderful, just just appreciating that, (laughs) I'm enjoying God in his goodness that he created taste buds and capacity to, to enjoy that and to provide the meat. And- I'm pleasuring his good pleasure. Like yes. he made me this way right. and he wants me to enjoy it. That's right. But it's when I indulge in over. Yeah. And, and overcoming or navigating anxiety can actually be an exercise of learning what it means to enjoy God. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's part of its purpose. In other words, it's learning to submit your experience to the good pleasure of God. Yes. Because that's typically what happens. That's the whole reality of the fall is we like to autonomously speaking, I want to experience my feelings, even though they're God's in the sense that he gave me these beautiful desires and emotions and the ability to experience something as a human being, but I want to do it my own perverted sinful way Mm. versus enjoying it in his context that he, and so, and what's funny about social anxiety disorder in in one real sense, it's helping those individuals Re- recondition, but then ultimately submitting to and helping them see that it's actually good. Mm. Yes. That's, it's actually a beautiful honoring moment to realize as the counselor that we get to, going back to the, your point about the experience, that we actually get to be a part of facilitating mm-hmm. that experience and helping them. And that to me, that's a level of care that, man, you can't. That's right. That's a beautiful thing. Any final thoughts as we wrap up here, Jeremy, with uh, just concluding and trying to land the plane of uh, what we've been talking about over social anxiety disorder and just maybe any encouragement to the, the counselors out there? Yeah. So for the counselors, just like Mike just mentioned, just recognize the beauty of your role and just the honor that we have as people of God to bring the beauty of God to people who are struggling, to people through a struggle, yeah, through a struggle, and that's that was written into their story before the foundations of the world, for the purpose of God's glory, and so never forget that anxiety can be a tough animal, so to speak. Don't get discouraged in that. Uh, always remember that the Holy Spirit in the rooms is more faithful and committed than we will ever be as counselors, and He's at work in His people. Uh, and if you struggle with anxiety. Hopefully something we've said here today is inviting you to be to move towards this God yeah. who is a refuge, who okay. loves you, who cares for you, who is not looking down his nose at you. Matter of fact, Jesus, the Messiah, experienced anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, it, it was miserable. Mm-hmm. And so he moves towards you in that and invites you to move towards him as your ultimate strength to navigate the contours of anxiety. Yeah, it's beautiful. It just, uh, as I'm sitting here, like trying to summarize just the reality of what we're talking about, it's just, I don't know if this would be redundant, but just the, like the, the paradoxical irony of 
You mean I can actually grow closer to God through something that I believe is actually not good, and God's using this thing that's not good, actually producing good by drawing me closer to him. It's beautiful. (laughs) Just Again, thank you guys for listening. And again, please engage with us. Uh, Subscribe and talk with us in the comments and let us know what your thoughts are and let us know what else you'd like to hear. We'd love to hear from you. We'll talk to you guys next time.